This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, attorney and former deputy assistant to President Trump, May Mailman. Hey, Mike. Hey, May. So I am looking forward to jumping right into all of those things that we didn't get a chance to talk about on our uh, on our weekend show. And the first one of those is something that uh, we talked about on the show when it first came up, but now it's become more of a reality. Those potential disqualifications of Donald Trump or his not being able to appear on the ballot in certain states. So maybe you can lead us off on this story. Yeah. So there's been challenges in multiple states. Some of them have been already kicked on standing or other grounds. Um, But the challenge is that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, prohibits Donald Trump from being president. And the language of the 14th Amendment says that no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector for president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States, who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the same. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each House, remove such disability. This was meant for civil, uh, this was a post-Civil War, uh, obviously it's 14th Amendment provision, so that if you had made an oath to the Constitution, uh, you were an elected representative, you were a military member, and swore your allegiance to the Constitution, flipped, and then killed a bunch of your uh, countrymen in the Civil War uh, in allegiance to the Confederacy, that that was not going to be okay. You could not hold office, and and yet uh, Congress could forgive you, basically. So um, in Denver on Monday, a trial-level court started hearing arguments, and then on Thursday, the Minnesota Supreme Court heard arguments. So these are the two most advanced cases. Um, if the Supreme Court were to hear these, which I think People sort of expect that they would. 
it would probably be arising out of these two locations. Um, now, there are a lot. So there were a couple of conservative law professors who basically presented this argument, said that Trump should be taken off the ballot. Then there are a lot of people who said, no, the 14th Amendment doesn't apply for a variety of reasons. Um, I don't see the Supreme Court siding uh, on the side of Trump can't run for president or can't be president. But, um, Mike, what did you think about what's going on in Denver and Minnesota? Well, I guess one thing I noticed is in the in the Colorado case, uh, Trump, one of Trump's attorneys, there, I guess the lead one, a guy named Scott Gessler, who pointed out President Trump, he said, didn't engage. And he just gave he gave a speech. Right. And uh, that's not engaging in insurrection or rebellion. And I think he's right about that. I don't believe that on, and under any reasonable understanding of the term, Donald Trump engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. But there's also another part that Scott Gessler didn't mention is in, in Section 3 says, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. And that, I think, is a less bad argument. And so to me, it's a question of, well, what constitutes engaging in insurrection or giving aid or comfort to insurrectionists? And who gets to decide that? And it seems to me that I have a hard time believing that under any definition, Trump engaged. But aid or comfort? Well, maybe. But my problem with that part of the argument is, well, none of the I guess thousand plus at this point, people who were charged regarding January 6th, none of them were charged with insurrection. And there is a federal statute about insurrection. If someone had been charged and convicted of insurrection and the argument was that, well, these proud boys or these groups were insurrectionists, you know, proven in a or, you know, charged and convicted in a court of law, Donald Trump by doing or not doing something aided them, I think that would be a worth looking into in a serious way. But that those aren't the facts that are presented to us. And so therefore, I have a hard time linking all of this together in a strong legal argument. And not only that, but I think given the fact that it would result in the leading candidate for the presidency being kept off the ballot in those two states. Now, those two states wouldn't matter because they were, in a sense, they were both Biden, clear, easy Biden victory states. But the the idea that you would remove someone from the ballot on kind of weak evidence, if you will, I find the whole thing just very unsettling, honestly. So that's my take. Um. Well, I agree with you. Um, I also don't think the aid or comfort works because you still don't have an insurrection. So, you know, I've heard from actually liberal uh, law professors that, the, you know, the idea of taking the Civil War. So obviously the 14th Amendment doesn't just apply to the Civil War. But when you say insurrection, it has to be in the context of the Civil War that ripped our nation apart um, and where 620,000 people at least died to take that and compare it to the hooliganism of January 6th is like a mockery of the Civil War. So I do 
by that. And so this definition of insurrection came up in the Colorado case and the Colorado expert witness defined an insurrection as any public use of force or threat of force by a group of people to hinder or prevent the execution of the law. Now that is a wildly broad definition. I just, I don't think that that can work any public use of force or threat of force. So what about in Tennessee, where people push their way into the state capitol? They wouldn't leave. The police asked them to leave. It did get a little bit rowdy. What about uh, the sort of Palestinian rally that just took place? You know, what about even, um, I guess, the pulling of the fire alarm wasn't a group of people. So maybe if multiple people pulled fire alarms, it, it just any public use of force. So I, I just think that if that's going to be the definition in the Colorado trial, that's unworkable. I, I, it's unworkable. Um, but Colorado is going to be a little bit longer because they are taking, you know, evidence, that type of witnesses. In Minnesota, the justices seemed very concerned about one of the things that you mentioned, which is who has the authority to keep Trump off the ballot. So one of the uh, arguments being put forward for in by these uh, use the 14th Amendment folks is that it's it's self-executing, meaning anyone can read the text and act on it and remove uh, Trump from the ballot. And if you think about that, that is a similar argument that was made after Brown versus Board of Education, uh, where people didn't like the Supreme Court's ruling. And they said, we, the states, we all have an obligation to read the Constitution and I read it differently. And to have everybody on their own island of of how they read it, how they apply it, what they do, it gets very, very messy. Not to say it's necessarily wrong. It's an idea that that has persisted for a very long time, but it is messy. Um, and I don't see a lot of courts willing to engage in that messiness. To have every single election official in the United States has their own authority to scratch President Trump's name off the ballot because they themselves read the 14th Amendment and believed it to apply. What you're really, I think, looking for, you know, the strong version is this is something that is held by Congress. This is essentially an impeachment basis. Um, but, you know, I think a less strong version of it uh, might at least be I don't know, federal courts or the secretary of state, but without that guidance of who applies this, it gets very, very messy, very, very quickly. Yeah. And in a way, I almost hope that this not, I don't say I would almost hope that, but I, there could be a benefit for this going to the Supreme Court as there would be a potentially a standard that would come out of this. And, and I agree, it, it, it has to be much clearer than what we have now, which is essentially nothing. And that's, that's I want to emphasize, particularly problematic when we're talking about removing someone from appearing on the ballot, taking away a choice from the people. The standard for that should be very high, I would think. You want to err on the side of democratic choice. And uh, I think that's an important concept. And And so... You know, you could make an argument, for instance, if you say, well, Congress should make that determination. And some people would say, I made this argument. And I think those two conservative uh, Federal Society law professors made this argument in part saying that, well, Congress did, in fact, declare what happened on January 6th, an insurrection in a, in a joint uh, 
bipartisan resolution where they called, where they referred to the insurrectionists of January 6th. That's maybe the strongest argument you can make, but I still, to me, it's not quite enough. I, I just feel it, you need something firmer that you need some sort of clear official applying to this instance declaration. And absent that, the voters should decide whether or not Donald Trump or anyone else participated in actions that were so egregious that they should not vote for him. And so I think that's where I land on this. And I'm pretty sure that's that that's where, if not the state courts, certainly the federal courts will end up landing on this. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. All right. Well, we've got some more legal stuff yeah, uh, in the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. So why don't you uh, why don't you bring us up to speed on this? It was uh, uh, the First Amendment and some social media blocking two cases, right, that were heard together. Right. So um, the backstory is that when I was in the White House, there was a case percolating um, because Donald Trump on his real Donald Trump Twitter account blocked people who were annoying, um, as many of us block people who are annoying. And the argument, um, so Trump was sued, and the argument was that these people had a First Amendment right to engage on the comment section, view the comments. You know, they had to log out of their Twitter if they were going to view the comments, um, they couldn't have a back and forth, you know, basically that they had been discriminated against and it was related to speech and that that was bad. So that case actually made it all the way to the Supreme Court. But when Trump was no longer president, it got kicked out. Um, and so now you have the same issue basically arise, but it's not as sexy because it's not Trump. But it does help make it a little bit less political. So um in these cases, you've got one case out of California where you have school board members who blocked parents from their Facebook and Twitter pages. And then you've got a case out of Michigan where you've got a city manager who blocked a citizen from his Facebook page because the citizen didn't like his COVID policies. And in both of these cases, they are technically private pages. They're not run by the city. The city doesn't oversee the pages. They're not official pages. So they're created by the government official. But there is some government vibe to them. Um, There's a mix of personal and uh, public information on there. And uh, 
so the Michigan guy, it was a lot of personal California, not a lot of personal. And, and the real question was when the government official blocks somebody, is that the government acting? Is the government acting to do the blocking? Which uh, in that case would at least the First Amendment would at least then apply. Or is it just a private citizen blocking somebody? In which case, private citizens can discriminate against speech all they want. First Amendment doesn't apply to private citizen versus private citizen. Uh, First Amendment doesn't even apply. So this is not uh, even winning. This is just the first step out of the gate. Does the First Amendment apply? So uh, in the argument, it was really actually hard to tell what the lawyers were arguing. But what it seemed to coalesce around uh, was if the government official, I think uh, post by post is what the government wanted, and then page by page is what the citizens wanted. But if the government official is acting in some official fashion, there's he has authority to act, he has a duty to act. And the blocking takes place kind of in that context, then you have government action. But it it just was so frustrating because it's impossible to know when that is. So there was a line of questioning from Kavanaugh. You've got a private page and you've got a guy that says it's snowing, the roads are closed, something like that. Um is that a, a is that him just chatting with his friends, his buddies, and he knows that because he's, or is that an official, you know, is that official message? And then in the official message, you couldn't block anybody because you're sort of acting in your official capacity. And the answer was like, well, it kind of depends. It depends on whether there's some sort of duty to let people know that the roads are closed. It depends on whether there's another website or another avenue telling people where the roads are closed but ultimately through the arguments my sense was that weirdly it was going to be six three on a political basis so the conservatives sided with the government official officials and the liberals were siding with the citizens even though these are not political cases um necessarily and yet i can't i have no idea what the opinion is going to look like so uh, what what are your Thoughts, Mike? Should these people, should these government officials be blocking annoying people from their pages constitutionally? Oh, what a big mess. <laughs> this, you know, this reminds me of one of these things where where legal legal policy geeks, if you will, kind of get in there and say, well, how can we formulate a rule that kind of gets into all these nooks and crannies? And my, my response is like, we don't need a rule here. I, I really hate these cases because it seems to me there's a simple solution. Now, a lot of people might not like it, but uh, if my solution, at least, would be that if a public official has a private Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, what have you, they can block whomever they want, but not on official government accounts. I would make it as simple as that just because of the nature of how social media works. I think Justice Gorsuch had a great hypothetical, right? He talked about uh, it was, uh, some some official who likes to do a lot of cat posts, right? He loves his cats or something like that. And he's posting all about cats, but there's some guy who hates cats and he just is anti-cat stuff. And so the guy says, well, I'm going to block you. Well, you're blocked not just from the cat stuff, but from everything. And so it's a big, big mess. 
And it seems to me that the best way to deal with this is to just say, if a public official has a private Facebook page, that's not them speaking as a public official and citizens shouldn't assume that it is and they can block whomever they want. And so that to me seems to be the best approach. Now, there's another approach, I guess. You can try to formulate some sort of rule, make it a case by case type of thing, open up public officials to lawsuits for blocking people. And I can see the advantage of that, because if that means that public officials stop stop using social media, I'm, that's maybe a good outcome. I'm actually for that or stop doing official business or semi-official business on social media. Uh, I, maybe that's in the public interest as well. But more seriously, I think that the right resolution of this would just simply be to say that if, you know, representative whomever or city council person has his or her own Facebook page block away. That's how I'd resolve it. I tend to agree with you. And then there was a suggestion from one of the government plaintiffs that um, if you don't like that, if you don't like this block away thing, then the way to resolve that is not a constitutional ruling from the Supreme Court. The way to resolve that is employee policies. So your employer or the state government or whatever will say, um, you know, employees are permitted to have uh, private Facebook pages in which they post government business. However, people can't be blocked or blocks must be reported to so and so or, you know, whatever or anything that you post on your private that has to do with official business. Please cross post that to a separate one where no one is blocked. You can have you can see a million different ways to have an employee policy, but to have the government, the Supreme Court come down and say the First Amendment requires you to have, you know, garbage on your some of these were almost campaign websites. They were just trying to show their good works as as their campaign. But you have to have anti cat posts. You've got to have the whole, whole world of things. And for anyone who has a, a Twitter you know that half the things on there are bots and you but you don't always know if it's a bot it just could be a crazy person so to impose liability i think uh constitutionally is not the right avenue you know that said maybe there are other avenues um to protect uh people from accidentally traipsing in to a first amendment violation so uh you can block people. It just can't be in violation of someone's rights. So you can't do it on a viewpoint basis. But if you're saying that anyone who curses or something like that, is that necessarily viewpoint or is that just like kind of creating order something like that? But anyway, I tend to agree. This is, this is not, this should not be a first amendment thing. This should be a, uh, an employee policy thing. Absolutely. I and so on this I think we we are in just about complete agreement. We hope you enjoyed this preview of our supporters exclusive midweek show. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode, we hope you'll consider becoming a supporter. Supporters get ad-free access to all of our shows, membership in our Politics Guys Discord group where you can join in on the conversation and other benefits at different levels of support. To become a supporter, go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. You can also support us through Venmo or at politicsguys or through PayPal. You'll find all of our support links in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. 
And if you'd like to get the midweek show, but you're not in a position to become a financial supporter, that's not a problem. Just send me an email at mike at politicsguys.com and I'll be happy to get that set up for you.